Welcome to the weekly podcast of East Point Church of God. Pastor Larry Sterling, we invite you to join us in a service soon. We're located at 379 Avenue A, East Point, Florida. Our service times are 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays and 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. We pray that this week's message inspires you to shine the light of Christ to those around you. We have the, the Old Testament and the New Testament together is a beautiful, uh, beautiful piece of literature. It's a beautiful uh, document, but it's also the Word of God. And every, everything written in the Word of God is going to be fulfilled. Everything spoken in the passages are going to be fulfilled. However, there are many cases that we will only understand after a thing happens rather than before the thing happens. You see, you see, we, we sometimes, we know that we know that God is going to return because the Word of God says it. The Bible speaks of it. It's there in Scripture. And Jesus lays out the outline of how that's going to work in the Gospel of Luke 21, Matthew 24, and other places. He's, they're going through and, and giving us the Gospel and giving us this message. But it, it's difficult to overlay everything that he says. Because sometimes he's speaking of the immediate future. Sometimes he's speaking of the way off future. And sometimes he's speaking of both at the same time. And you look at it and you're thinking, how in the world is a man supposed to figure this thing out? And so all I can tell you is that God will give you the wisdom when you seek him and diligently seek him. I say this to kind of start here tonight with this, because with, I, I introduced to you a concept that I, of the last day study that I'm not sure that anybody's ever heard of before, because I'm not sure. I, I, when I study the Word of God, it all lays out for me, and I'm telling you the Holy Spirit showed me these things. Now, I didn't teach you anything new. That's all been taught before many, many times, but structure and how it's set forth and put together... I've never read a book about that. I've never seen that. That's just what my teaching and my, my the Holy Spirit showing me these things, how, how this fits together. And so because of this, I want you to, 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 to imagine with me and understand that when I talked about the 70 AD this morning and I talked about the temple being wiped out and I talked about those things, how Jesus accurately predicted and prophesied and spoke about how the temple was going to be destroyed in, in Luke's Gospel 21 and how we went through all that. That is a set moment in time in, in, because of the, of the overlapping of the time of the patriarchs and the, and the moments of grace. Okay, so because the moment of the patriarchs or the Jewish age or whatever you want to call it is here, it had a set ending when the temple was destroyed. Okay, but at the same time, 
we're going to go back on the other side of this thing, and these things are going to repeat. Because remember the, the structure, how it came from creation to the cross, and how it goes from the cross all the way back to the new creation, a new, new life. So what this, this time period bleeded over in the first century, and so what's going to take place is not only are you going to see this, this temple being destroyed, but you're also going to see a drive for a new temple. You're going to see a drive for a new atmosphere. You're going to see a drive for a new environment of the temple, and then you're going to see these events play out with Antichrist one more time. Y'all with me tonight? I'm trying not to get too deep, but I, I want you, because some of y'all are Bible scholars. Some of you know, some of you might have thought pastor just went off the rails there this morning with what he taught uh, with, with the temple. Because some people think that once it's been fulfilled in one way, it can never be fulfilled in another way. Well, the Bible over and over and over again has what's called types and shadows. There are times that there is a direct fulfillment, and then there's a type fulfillment, and then there will be another fulfillment of the same sort. And so I don't want you to get wrapped up in going over it and looking into the gospel of Luke chapter 21 and saying, okay, pastor said this was, this was 70 AD, but these things haven't happened yet. And these things haven't happened yet. I didn't go anywhere other than where I went this morning for a purpose, because if you read the entirety of that chapter, it's going to be difficult for you to understand what's going on unless you follow what I'm talking about right now. Y'all with me tonight? Oh, praise God. <laughs> because I want to be clear to you, and I don't want you to be confused. And so when as we, as we go in, we are focusing on the finality of this time period as the age of grace. And we're going to go longer into this on another Sunday. But what I want to speak to you and cover Romans chapter 11 is that that we see at this moment in time, we see the Jewish people have been cut off, but not all Jewish people. I didn't read this, but verses 1 through 10 speaks about a minority of throughout time of Jews that are going to stay in the faith that God always is going to have a remnant, that God is always going to have a people. And so there's going to be a people that are going to love Jesus, that are going to be Jewish, and that's not going to ha stop because God is going to take care of them. But for the majority majority of them, verses 7 through 10, three men predicted that unbelieving Israel was going to have their hearts hardened. Moses in Deuteronomy 29, and David in Psalm 69, and Isaiah in Isaiah 29, 10. Each one of these men prophesied and said that Israel was going to be hardened, their hearts were going to be hardened, and they would not be able to endure the trial that was going to take place. And so because of this, Paul speaks of this mystery, that there is a grand design, the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God was, was created, and as he created his kingdom of God in this world, the Jewish people by their very nature were the original 
originators of this kingdom of God because of Abraham's faith and God's covenant with Abraham. And so because God remembered his covenant with Abraham, he's going to remember his people. His, his ways are not our ways and his doings are not our doings and time means nothing to God. So, so even though there will be a season that we are currently in right now, the end of this season, we are, we are coming to the close of this, but we are seeing the rebirth of the Jewish age during this same time. So we have what was an overlap over here of about 30 years from the time of the cross to the killing, uh, the destruction of the temple. We have a second overlap over here as the age of grace is slowly dying and the age of the Jewish people are being birthed again as I've showed you that we have multiple hundreds and hundreds of Jewish congregations that are being spread out that love Jesus and that are preaching the gospel. And like I said, I think 250,000 in the United States people that love the Lord Jewish believers. This is, this is from zero to from 1967 to now. And so as I showed you in Scripture, how the time of the Gentiles was, as Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, is going to be contained about the trotting under Jerusalem and, the, and its feet and his feet. Well, the same passage is here. When you start seeing the Jewish people coming to back to God and a movement and a revival coming back to the Lord, you're seeing this same thing spiritually speaking. Physically, they have Jerusalem now. It's in control. Now, don't think for one moment that that Israel's not in control of Jerusalem. Just because there's a mount, there's because there's a mosque on Temple Mount does not mean they're not in control. At any moment in time, if they wanted to fight the battle, they'd wipe them all out. They're just keeping the peace for a moment. But one day, that peace is going to be stopped. One day, that, that's, that's going to come to an end. And we're going to talk about the Gog and Magog and how this all works out and how these things are coming together in our day right now. I mean, we're living in one of the greatest prophetic moves of God that we've ever seen before in our lives and, and, and generations upon generations God is doing something wondrous right now and we are seeing things that people have longed to see and so when we so we have to look at this look at uh, looking at Romans you see in Romans eleven twenty five. He says, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. So what are we doing? We did not replace. We did not replace the Jewish people. We are, this is, this is not something that you've got to think, well, that we took their spot. No, this is the kingdom of God. We, are, we all belong to the Lord. They were grafted they were pulled out. They were chopped off. Remember the remnant. But they were, for the majority, they were chopped off. And, and blindness was given to the land. And blindness was given to these people. But for generation after generation, they've maintained their spiritual identity. And continuing down this road, that you would think that over a period of over 1,930, 40-some years, these people should have lost their identity by now. But they haven't. 
And so God has watched over them and God has kept them and God has, has looked to them. Where a people that are looking for a temple, a people that are looking for the soon return. And God is, like I said, as this time of grace begins to end and as we get to the, the, to the end of this period of time of the, the end of the age of grace, this Laodicean period, which I'll go over in a minute with you just a second. But as we get to this atmosphere and get to this moment, we're going to see that all this time as grace and people seeking the Lord are going to start, um, Gentile people begin to wane and go down. You're going to see Jewish people going up and up and up, going after Christ and a move of God that is unprecedented that we haven't seen since, since the beginning of, of, of the cross. And you say, what, what's, what's significant is, is that many of these Jewish people, when they find out that Jesus was Jewish, when they find out that the disciples were Jewish, when they find out that everybody was Jewish up to Cornelius, that this, is, this was based upon this, it gets their interest. It gets their interest and they say, well, because they have been sold a bill of goods of, of what they, from generations ago, of, of how, how this is supposed to be. And, and, and I remember watching one Jewish rabbi, he had the, 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 the garb on and everything, and he was, he was speaking of this. And he said, and he was reading Isaiah 53, and he, as he was reading Isaiah 53, and he goes, how did the Christian Jesus get into my Bible? And then he realized all of a sudden wait a minute he's he's the messiah he's the messiah and the light of god is starting to come on in these people's lives i mean you should be excited to see this the bible tells us again isaiah 53 who has believed our report and who to whom the arm of the lord has been revealed for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant as a root out of dry ground he has no form or comeliness and when we should see him there is no beauty that we should desire him what is this speaking of it's speaking to the jewish people he's telling them he's he's prophesying to them that they're going to go through a time period where they don't even see him there's no beauty in him that he's going to they're going to recognize at it but even though they don't see him as Messiah. Verse 3 says he is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. And surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all oh my gosh you see how things work he said are turning away and being led astray and going our own way this way, this blindness that we have, what happened? Jesus took it on the cross. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He bore their blindness. He bore their sin. He bore their rejection. He carried it himself. And he was wounded for our, their, mine, your transgressions. Beautiful, beautiful passages as they see here. 
And God, God has laid on him not just my sin and your sin, but all sin upon Jesus. And he's bearing it all. This is, Paul calls it a mystery because it's too big for us. Let me give you the ending before we go further back. The Bible says in verse 33 of Romans 11, Romans 11, 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, his ways past finding out. We're not going to figure this thing out until it's already over. And then we'll look back and we'll say, oh, okay. You know what I mean? His, his past finding out. He reveals to us what we need to know. He reveals to us how we need to live. For verse 34 goes on, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. All this belongs to God. I'm not his counselor. I don't tell God how he's supposed to do it. I don't explain to God how he's supposed to save Jewish people. I don't explain to God how he's supposed to save Gentile people. I let him do that all by himself. Because I can't save anybody. All I can do is pray for somebody to be saved. It wasn't my blood that was shed. It was his blood that was shed. It wasn't, it wasn't anything that I did. He carried it all upon himself. And so it is beyond figuring out. It goes beyond what we can understand. It just he gives us a basic and a framework so that we can trust him. And the further we get in, the more we have to step back and say, what a glorious God you are. What a glorious God you are. When you study these things and when you get into the word of God, if you don't step back and look at God in a new way and say, well, God, what a glorious God you are. Friend, you're not getting into it like you should be getting into it. Because the deeper you go in, the bigger he gets. The further you get down in there, the greater he is. When you don't spend time with the Lord and you don't spend time seeking God, you're, going, you're serving a God that you can conceive in your mind. But my God is bigger than my thoughts. My God is bigger than my mind. My God is bigger than my ways and my ideas. And he does great and mighty things. is more wondrous than I could ever imagine. His works are glorious beyond all thought or measure. And he goes well beyond who I am and what's going on. And so we've got to learn just to step back and say, God, to you be the glory. To you be the glory. You're going to do that, God. And I'm going to watch you and shout and rejoice and be glad how great a God I serve. And so we, we, we don't, don't, allow, don't allow ideas and things to pull you away from the wondrousness of God. Because you can get so caught up in the fulfilling of details and all this that you miss the, the reason that you're doing it. And the reason that you we're going down this road is so that you can step back and say, isn't he wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? And so you, you look at this. So we, we, the purpose of this. Romans 11, 11. Paul says, but through their fall, why do we exist, you and I? To provoke them to jealousy. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. 
Why do we have salvation today? Part of the reason is that God wants the Jewish people jealous. That's what it says. That's what it says. He wants you. Uh, never mind. He wants them jealous. Why? Because he wants Israel back. He wants Israel back. And so he wants them jealous of, of, of what's going on. Verse 13, for I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry, if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. For if their being cast away is reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Paul has helped them understand that he, his purpose is to speak to us, but also to hope his, Paul's hope is in his preaching to the Gentiles. He's going to cause some of the Jewish people to want the things that God is giving to the, the, given to the, Jew, uh, given to the Gentiles. And so then going further through verses 16 through 24, the Bible tells us that the root of the tree, you know, and the roots of the tree of our faith here, look at verse 16, for if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. The root of this thing, the kingdom of God is Abraham and other godly Old Testament men that believe by faith in God. And they're the root. They're, they're what's going on. They're, they're who we're looking to as the beginning of, of in Genesis 12 of a new age of coming into this world. And so it goes on that, that during this, this first fruits, during this newness, the verse 17 says, after a while, so to speak, these branches were broken off and you and I were grafted on. Now, those of you raising fruit trees, you know how to do this and understand this concept of putting on a foreign branch onto a, a, a different type of tree. This works if you, it, it, this works, but you have to recognize that the thing that is the, that is the core, the thing that is necessary here has to be wounded. It has to be shaved off. It has to be cut. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 15 that Jesus told us who he is. Let's read this. John chapter 15. Jesus explains to us this analogy. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that, he, that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Jesus was wounded. He was bruised. And we were taken by this cloth. And we were strapped on. Our branch was attached to the wounded side of Christ. And now we are part of the gospel. We're part of the kingdom of God. We're part of what God is doing because Jesus was wounded for our transgressions as well. So because these original branches were broke off, the, the process here is that when the branch came off, not only did the branch hurt, was hurt, but it wounded the side of the one. So don't feel like God is being cold-hearted. Don't feel like God is being somehow mean. It wounded the Lord. To see this happening in there. 
So the originals are, are broken off. In the, and so we, we are a wild olive tree, Paul says. We have been grafted in. But someday, looking at verse 24, you, if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to the nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? When God begins to do something again, when God begins to do something again in this world and begins to move in this world through the Jewish people, you haven't seen anything yet. That's what this is talking about. You have not seen. When, when, when Jews who have been so determined to keep the Orthodox Jewish faith for 1900 years, and these people then turn to God, turn to Jesus. We haven't seen devotion like this yet. We haven't seen the enormity of what's going to happen when these people begin to be grafted in. Things are going to take place that are going to astound you. If the rapture doesn't take place before, we all get on over there. There are going to be things that are going to literally blow your mind. And they're coming from the Jewish people. I want to share with you one in a couple of weeks. There's a, there is, if you want to read the book, you go right ahead. Because I'm going to be plagiarizing it pretty sorry here soon. And it's called The Harbinger by Jonathan Gahn. And he's a rabbi. A Jewish believer in Jesus. And he literally, he, he literally, I'm telling you, when I, when I, after I'm finished giving you everything that he's written about, well, I'm not going to give you everything, but I'm going to give you the warning he gave to America. I, I look at this and I'm thinking, God, you have started the process of these Jews beginning to get revelation that we have yet to even see. That God is beginning to show men and women that, that he is coming soon. And things that, that are astounding are going to be, that are going to be revealed through these people, these Jewish people. And I want to tell you something very important, very vitally important. They're Pentecostal. They are. They are spirit-filled believers. In fact, I have yet to see a Jewish believer in Jesus that isn't Pentecostal. There may be somebody out there, but I have yet to find one. Why? Because they, when they get what God is doing, they get it all. They're going after him. They're going after everything that he has. When you see God begin to move, I want to tell you this rabbi that I mentioned earlier, do you know where he spoke three, three, two years ago? You know where he spoke two years ago on inauguration day when Barack Obama, he was standing in the prayer at a breakfast of our nation and he stood up in front of senators and congressmen and he stood there and told them that America was going to hell and they needed to repent. And I'm thinking, what? You know, 
We, we were so politically correct in the, in the Gentile world. This guy, he doesn't care. He walks up there and basically told him that America is, America's days are numbered. If we don't turn back to, he'll say Yeshua, he'll, he'll turn back to Jesus. If we don't turn back to Jesus Christ, our days are numbered. And he told us on the inauguration day, I'm telling you, God is moving and moving through the Jewish community and reaching people and they're coming alive and God is empowering them. And basically Paul says, you think you olive branches are awesome? Wait till you see what God has been doing through the Jewish people and they get on fire for Jesus Christ and watch what they give to the body of Christ. My Lord. Maybe you get this about 3 o'clock this morning. But I want you to, I, I can't go any further down that road because I'll preach another message on it from another day. But I'm telling you, we need this understanding because the Bible tells us that right after the rapture, right after we head over, during this shaking, that I spoke about this morning. Revelation chapter 7. The Bible says in verse 4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. And then verses 5 through 8 begin to speak. And to tell and give the, the count and the number of, of each from every tribe. 12,000 from each tribe. And 144,000 set aside Jewish people. We only have 250 right now, 250,000. 144,000 are going to come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And they're going to be set out. And they're going to be sent on a mission to go all through the world. And they've got about, they've got about three and a half years, 1,260 days to reach this world one last time and God is going to use them mightily we're going to get to the point in revelation that you're going to see two of them are going to step out in front of where the old test where the where the new temple that's going to be built and they're going to stand there and they're going to begin to call down fire from heaven I haven't seen any Gentile doing that here recently. And they're going to start calling down anointing and calling down fire. And, and they're going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if anyone even gets near them, they're going to speak the word. And they're going to be consumed in flames. That's power, brother. I don't have that kind of power. So when you see, when you, when you see it, I'm telling you, I mean... We gotta. We cannot get so arrogant to think that God only can use us. I want God to use whoever He wants to use. You know, if there's another church in another area of this county somewhere that begins to blow up and God begins to use them and they get two, three thousand people, praise God because you know what. I'm not keeping score and He's not keeping score. All that matters is that we go across the finish line. You know what I'm saying? It's not about 
our name, because our name, the church's name, isn't going to be what we're going to call out when we get there. We're going to only call out one name, and we're going to call out not my name, and not any pastor's name, or not any friend's name, and not any relative's name. You're going to call out the name of Jesus Christ and his name alone. That's what it's about. Jesus Christ being glorified in this community. And so when, you, when, we, when we see this, we say, well, God, why can't you do that with us? Well, he could, I guess, if he wanted to. But listen, if God doesn't want to use us that way, praise God anyway. We're still going to do what God has called us to do. What God has spoken to us. And so as we, as we finish out this thing, the time of the Gentiles if you look in Revelation, no, it's not going to be on your screen, but Revelation chapter 2. Y'all got time? Y'all right? All right. If you don't have time, you better go ahead and go on. <laughs> because we're going to be busy over the next 15 minutes here. But the Bible tells us in Revelation 2, Jesus begins to explain to us the ages of the church. So within the ages of grace, the age of grace we see here, this is our time period, the time of the Gentiles. We count it, I personally count it, from the moment of, of Cornelius, the moment that the first Gentile convert went on. So he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. So we see, I believe, the beginning of this age of Gentiles birthed into this world. We find the church of Ephesus. Now, it's interesting. I just preached to you out of Ephesians, and they were known as a church of love, and somehow they got so wrapped up in all that they were doing that they completely forgot about loving Jesus. And let me tell you, that is simple to do. It is simple to do because when you when you get so wrapped up in serving the Lord, you become Martha and Jesus wants you to be Mary. There's things to do in the kingdom of God. There's work to be done. There's, there's, there's duties that must be accomplished so that his kingdom goes forward. But yet at the same time, if you neglect staying in his presence and worshiping at the feet of Jesus, you will eventually walk away from your first love. And so the Bible tells us, and he speaks to us, and I'm not going to go deep into this, okay, y'all. I'm just going to go quickly. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, he says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for many, for, for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly, and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent." But this you have, that you hate the deeds of Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of paradise of God. So the purpose of them, he's speaking, Jesus is speaking to those, those, those Christians that are in the first early stages of Christianity. He's speaking to these churches that get so wrapped 
up in business. Now, I want you to understand something. Our scientific minds, our Western mind, says that something has to start on point A, and when something ends on point B, something new begins there. The Bible doesn't have that problem. We do. The Bible doesn't. It can start something on point A, and something else can start right around, and both of them be going at the same time. And so what happens here is that you can... that. For the most part, you have seen an organization of the church and the beginning of the church and the bishopric and all the things that were going on in that, that process there. And they got the church so organized and purposed that they got their mission statement written down and they got their vision statement and they got all these things of what they're supposed to do, but nobody's going to church. And they're not, they've left their first love. They got into the process of it. And so there, there's a, this challenge, this change is taking place. And then at the very same time, this, this exists for a period of, of, of a few couple hundred years. And then at the very same time, there is the age of Smyrna that takes place. And Jesus begins through this church of Smyrna. Smyrna means crushing, where we get the idea of myrrh, or this, this, this scent that has to be crushed. Verse 9, I know your works, tribulation, poverty, that, but you are rich. I know that the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but they are the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. And so what we find here is that the church of Smyrna is, 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 represents the age of persecution that takes place during the early part of the church world that we understand. And they are, they are being persecuted on a regular basis. And this age continues and does have a specific ending point. And then we go into verse 12. Then we have, go into Pergamos. And the angel of the church of Pergamos write these things which Sue says this who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and commit sexual immorality. Thus... You also have among the, hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which things I hell, hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against those among them with the sword of my mouth. So what we have here, very quickly here, as we get into this time of the Gentiles that's going on, you have the church of Ephesus. You have this church going on, but they're losing their first love. And then Jesus is trying to get their attention. So what happens when Jesus tries to get your attention? He usually sends something. So what's the very next thing that happens? Persecution. Persecution begins to hit the church. And as per persecution begins to hit the church, we see it rising up in a, in a horrific way through that time. And by the, all this persecution ended on 313 AD at the Edict of Milan, when, when the persecution by the Roman Caesar was, it put in, it made it illegal to persecute Christians. And so at 313 AD, we see this. And now this church, so the age of Ephesus and the age of Smyrna, has officially come to an end around that time period. But then this time of Pergamos begins to take place. And in this time of Pergamos, you begin to see the process of the church begin to go into compromise. 
And as the church historically begins to go and compromise, you begin to see weird things start entering into the, the worship of the church. You see, in eight, you see in 300, you see in 300 prayers for the dead begin to take place. 375, worship of saints and angels. And 431, worship of Mary will begin during this time. And 500, priests will begin to dress differently than everybody else. And trying to take themselves as a higher level and a higher place. And so, so Jesus is telling them, listen, you don't get involved. The church is not about money. It's not about this process. It's not about, this is what this talking about Balaam and, and all these things. It's not about these things. It's about the kingdom of God. He's going to provide. He's going to help. He's going to bless. He's going to take care of you. And you need not get so puffed up that you're the way, the truth, and the life. Because I'm the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. So then we go on, it goes even further though, because once you have a generation of compromisers, they give birth to the next generation of corruption. You got to remember this process because this happens over and over and over. And I believe this is happening right now in America today. We had a generation of compromisers that have gave birth to a generation of corruptors. And our church is corrupted today by people that have no idea of what truth is. And so, Thyatira, as it goes on, the Bible says, I know your works, your love, service, faith, and your patience. As for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. And he goes on and goes deeper and deeper into this process and speaks to them how evil the church has become immorally. And this, my friend, is where we are finding ourselves in today. Because what happens is after the corrupt church, there's still something here. There's some kind of life there, but they give birth to the next thing and it's called the dead church. Compromise Leads to corruption, which will then lead to death. Let me give you some historical things. During the time period of Thyatira, 593, the doctrine of purgatory was introduced. Worship began in Latin in 600. Prayers were started to be directed towards Mary in 600. In 607, Boniface III becomes the first pope. 709, kissing of the pope's feet. 786, to begin the worshiping relics and images. In 850, holy water was introduced. In 995, the canonization of the dead came into the church. In 1079, celibacy of the priesthood. In 1184, the inquisitions began. In 1190, sales of indulgences happen. You know what indulgence is? That means that we, you can buy your way into heaven through the money you got in your pocket. On and on and on. 1229, the Bible was forbidden to the lay people. And all these things, tradition in 1545, was, became equal to the Bible. And all this stuff happened stirring this corrupted church. And it leads all the way up until the revival of the, of the reformation of, of God's church. This goes up into within a couple of generations of ourselves. So this leads into what's next is a dead church. And I, I'm not going to go into all these things, but it says that Jesus calls them dead. They are they're dead to him, so to speak. 
And he, in, in verse, verse 1, I, he says, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Somebody might have a name on the door, but it doesn't mean the church is alive. Maybe people inside, but it doesn't mean the church is alive. So he says, this corrupted church gave birth to a dead church. And there are dead churches all the way around this world right now, giving birth through corrupted churches that have gone off the rails, so to speak, and are teaching crazy doctrines that are against the word of God. But then we see Jesus begin to do something here. That was the church of Sardis in this age. And then we see Philadelphia. This is the church of brotherly love. This is a church that we see this age that we find ourselves in right now being overlapped by Laodicean age. This is the age of the uh, loving your brother, loving your sister. This is the age of the church that the missionary movements took, started taking shape in the 19, I mean, in the seven, late 1700s, 1800s, and the 1900s. And you see this move of missions and going after the lost and going after and fulfilling the gospel of Jesus Christ and the commandment of the Great Commission and going out and reaching them. You see this age being being birthed right here within the last 300 years, right in front of our eyes as Jesus explains this to us. And he tells us in the latter part of this, verse 11, he says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write a name, write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, and the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so what we find is this rebirth. Gee, there's this rebirth of the power of God. And what takes place during this Philadelphian age is a baptism of the Spirit of God begins to permeate. The Holy Spirit begins to move. And it was said in the, late, in the 1700s, in the first great awakening, that John Wesley would stand up and preach for two, three hours, and people would be laid out under the power of the Holy Ghost. This is the founder of Methodist Church, y'all. People will be laid out. They, 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 we, call it, we call it, you know, out in the spirit today. They didn't know what was going on. But these people, they wouldn't get up and they weren't dead. But they were under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And they were laying there. People would be crying out. Different preachers would be preaching. And people would, would cry out. There was one preacher that got up in America. And he, he was preaching and, and he looked at all of these people as written down in history. And he looked at them and he said, you know what bothers me the most? What bothers me the most is that you're all filthy sinners, corrupted, and you're dying and you're going to hell. Then that's not what bothers me, though. What bothers me the most is that you don't see it. And even, and even if you did see it, you wouldn't care. And you're going to die and you're not going to shed any tear about it. And you're going to burn forever in hell. So here's what I'm going to do. Because you won't pray for yourself. I'm going to pray for you. And George Whitfield would turn his back and begin to weep and moan and hundreds of people would rush to the altar as the power of God would fall in the area and they would get saved set free from all these things and the spirit of the Lord would descend in that moment when they would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. My goodness. And so as we 
finish out tonight. We live in this, this era of Laodicea of compromise. We live in an atmosphere of compromise and corruption. It's, it's all of it boiled up into one right here at this time. It's the worst age to be in, but at the same time, the greatest age to be in. It's the greatest age because it's the last one. It's the one where the, the, the age of the Gentiles, as we've been talking about, is finishing up here. And let's look at, let's look at Laodicea, and then we'll, we'll close. The Bible says this. So, so then, verse 16, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know what, that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with an eye sap that you may see as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him, into him, and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you know what Jesus just said there? Those of us that live during this Laodicean period, if we overcome, we will be granted to sit with him on his throne. You, that's what it says. That's what the Word of God says, if you overcome. And then, Revelation 4, 1 we see John the Revelator being caught up into the air with the Lord. Symbolic of what we're going to be one day. Here and then all of a sudden not. Here, living our days, and then all of a sudden being with the Lord. Here and then just in a moment and a twinkling of an eye, we're going to be rise to meet the Lord in the air. Here, just for an instant, and then gone. You see, we, we, are, we are closing in on the last of this age, and we are witnesses of the birthing right now of the age of the patriarchs coming back as God has showing us and showing how the Jews are being brought back into the kingdom of God and how he kept his promises. And I want to tell you, as we've seen when going through this age of the Gentiles today, I want you to recognize with me tonight that Jesus is faithful when he makes a promise he keeps his word. And he told Abraham, through you, you're going to be blessed. And now we are seeing throughout all history how the people of the world have been blessed through Abraham and blessed through faith. And I want to tell you today that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's no shadow or turning. He's real. He's true. And he's coming again. Sister, if you want to come to the head to the piano. I, I believe firmly, I believe tonight that we are on the cusp of this thing. We are on the cusp of the noon thing of God. As I said, as I started this out, Jesus speaking to my spirit and my heart. I believe that he's coming soon. And he, there is a visitation that's coming. 
Now, I've been praying. I've got several different ways I could go this next Sunday, and I, I got plenty of information to get seven weeks through, six weeks now. But I've been praying of what to give you. But I want to tell you, we need to be, you, you need not be afraid. But the, the judgment of God is coming to this nation. And it's begun. But you need to be mindful and watching. Knowing that God is, is still on the throne. Knowing that God is still on the throne. When I begin to show you these things that God has allowed me to see. I want you to hear from my heart. We are entering in. This, this, is, this is important. This is because I'm going to go back to the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to go back to the, the book of Matthew. And I'm going to show you these signs that are building up to the return of the Lord. Signs in the heavens that, the, that God said they were going to take place. Do you know right before? I mean, just parallels. Unbelievable. Remember I said the dovetail here, the Jewish people, this age of Jewishness, Jewish people, Jesus said there would be signs in the heaven right before this, this happens. You know what came through there right at that time? Haley's Comet. They didn't know what Haley's Comet was. They saw it, and just a couple years later, the temple was wiped out. And here we are living in a day of signs in the heavens. I mean, y'all, this summer, there was a star that showed up for the first time in 2,000 years in the sky. Signs everywhere. All around us. He's coming. He's coming. I mean, I might be an old man when he comes, but I know he's coming. I may not make it past tomorrow, but I know he's coming. I know it's much sooner than later. It may be tonight. It may be 50 years from now, but I know he's coming. I know he's coming. It's clear in the word of God. We can tell when the seasons change, Jesus said. And you can see the signs changing around you. No, he's coming. He's coming again. He's coming. Praise God. He's coming. So this is what I want to conclude with tonight. Back to Romans chapter 12. As we pray. We prayed about our brothers and sisters this morning. We prayed about our, excuse me, our unsaved loved ones this morning and our friends and family. But Romans chapter 12, Paul says, in light of your understanding of the Gentiles being grafted in and the Jewish people coming back, and in light of all that, he says, I beseech you therefore, brother, by the mercies of God. So he's saying, in light of, of knowing that God is coming in light of knowing that you don't, you're standing in promises that you don't deserve and you don't belong. You've been grafted in into an area that you don't deserve to be at. And in light of knowing that and understanding that, he said, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He's saying, you don't own yourself anymore. You were bought with a price. So don't try to live your life the way you want to live your life. Live your life the way he wants you to live your life. 
Present yourself, your body, as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, which means, which is what you should be doing. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. Think, don't think so highly of yourself. Don't get wrapped up in you. But recognize that God has a plan, has a purpose, and he wants to use you and wants to bless you and wants to help you and wants to encourage people through you. So allow yourself to be transformed and become that shining thing that God, that light that God has called you to be. Don't get caught up in the things of the world. Don't be conformed to the things of the world. Don't look like the world and talk like the world. Look and talk and act like Jesus Christ has called you to live. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of East Point Church of God and Pastor Larry Sterling. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.